You should find in your bulletin an outline, a rough outline of our uh, topic this morning. I just want to reread a, a couple of the lines that we sang uh, just moments ago. Immortal, invisible, God only wise, in light inaccessible, hid from our eyes. Most blessed, most glorious, the ancient of days, almighty, victorious, thy great name we praise. But we can know this God. He wants to have a relationship with us. The mighty creator of the universe, who sustains everything by his powerful word, loves you. And even in this verse where it talks about his justice like mountains high soaring above, that would cause us great fear, given our sinful natures, except that his justice was met through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. And we can stand in his righteousness before the immortal, invisible God only wise. Thanks to the Lord Jesus Christ, who gives us the victory. This morning, this passage, Proverbs 22.1, was something that I actually heard another preacher preach on not too long ago. The setting was in a beautiful chapel in the Milwaukee area where there was a casket. Beautiful casket, beautiful room. And the family was gathered and many of the friends of the individual who had gone on to be with the Lord were gathered in that place. And Pastor Chip Bernhardt, as part of his message that morning, reminded us of what a good name looked like and where a good name came from. Now, the notes are not from Pastor Chip, all right? Because I decided to study this more deeply and think about it more carefully and then share what God had said to me as a result. So we're going to talk about a good name's beginning. And, and thank you, Jason, for reading that. And uh, thank you for those of you that have served in worship already. The good name's beginning is found in Proverbs 1 verse 7. We're going to talk about a good name's value, and we're going to talk about a good name's source. And so that there's no doubt, and and just in case I lose you at some point, um, I want you to know that the good name's source, if you have a good name, it's because of the Lord Jesus Christ and His work, and because of nothing else. So before we dive in, join me in prayer. Father, my desire is to lift up the name of your Son and to bring glory to you. I realize I am a very frail vessel, but you have chosen me and you have given me this opportunity. And so, Father, use me. Use me in a way that only you can and cause your Spirit to do the work that needs to be done. Uh, Because in my flesh, I can do nothing. Father, cause both my words and the listeners' ears to be opened with truth. And I would thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Certificates. 
Many life's events are recorded with certificates. There's our, there are certificates of deposit, okay? That's, that's one of the things that is a certificate. And when you put funds in an institution, in a bank, a financial institution, it's evidence that those funds are yours. They're certified as yours, and the financial institution has a responsibility to you as a result of that certificate. There are birth certificates. I have one here. It's beautiful. Uh, it certifies that I've been born. In case there was any doubt, okay? Yes, indeed, I was born in the state of Illinois in Cook County in Chicago at Bethany Hospital. Clyde William Winquist was the father. Um, he was a production control assistant. I hadn't realized that. And my mom, Shirley May Winquist, is also recorded here, and the doctor, and it's dated. And, and this is a certificate of proof of evidence of citizenship. This is more than just a record of the day I was born. This is a valuable docu document. If, if I want to get a passport so that I could go into another country, I can return home with evidence that I was born in this country, in the state of Illinois. Graduation diplomas. They certify that you did the work, hopefully, um, ethically, responsibly, to accomplish a high school education or to pass kindergarten or second grade. You know, we, we, we sometimes even get certificates for passing kindergarten now or sixth grade and then college and other certificates. And they indicate a future that may be different as a result of having attained that certificate. A marriage license is a certificate. It proves that you're married, right? And uh, unfortunately in our society, there's less value placed on that certificate, and it shouldn't be that way, because what God has joined together, let man not separate. There is one other certificate, though. It's a fairly significant certificate. I don't have one. None of you has one. Yet. Some of you may be closer to it than others, but don't let age fool you. Because age is not an indication of whether or not that certificate's going to be written in the near term or not. We don't know what day that will be. It could be today for me. This may be the last time I have an opportunity to preach or to teach or to spend time with you. I hope not. I would like to continue to be useful for God in this world. But if he decides that my time is up, then there will be a certificate of death that is written. And that's an opportunity as well. Because as we sat and listened to Pastor Chip talk about a good name, it was very, very evident to me that the man who no longer resided in that casket, I mean, it was just his shell, it was his tent, it was his temporary dwelling, had a good name. He had a very good name. And why is that? It's because he trusted in the name that was above every other name. And he chose to live his life 
in the light and life of that name. And you would say, so Wayne, how do you know that? How do you know that he had a very good name? Just because of what Pastor Chip said and what all the relatives said one after another. It was, Dr. Frankie would have been embarrassed. He would have said, that can't really be me that they're talking about. But every one of his children, every one of his grandchildren, every one of his friends spoke very highly of him. And the name Dr. Glenn Frankie is a good name. And the reason I know that it's a good name is that when I was a young man and I was teaching sixth grade boys and then I started to attend his young marriage class with Cindy, he showed a love for the Lord and a humility in service and a desire to make sure that we understood the truth of God's Word and the love of the Lord Jesus Christ like no one I've ever met before. And then he said, Wayne, I'd like for you to teach my class. And my immediate thought was, that's insane. That's crazy talk. Now, if he had just done that, that would have been encouragement. But he spent time instructing and coaching encouraging, guiding. And one day I said, Dr. Frankie, I know you're a very busy man. You have your family. You have your medical practice. You have so many things on your plate. But I would really appreciate it if we could get together for breakfast. And you could share with me what God has taught you. And you could instruct me on how to be a good teacher, and how to relay God's truth well. And this good man spent years on Friday morning with this young man for the glory of God, because he cared about God, because he loved the Lord Jesus Christ. And so even though his life was already full, he said, I will serve my Lord by spending time with one of his children. So you probably get a sense that I really loved Dr. Frankie. But the story doesn't end there because someday I get to see him again. And we will be reunited. And there's the hope of the believer. There are names that aren't so good. How many parents would name their daughter Jezebel? I'm I'm supposing that not too many would if they knew who Jezebel was. Some of the women that are mentioned that aren't good, you don't even know their name. Lot's wife, Potiphar's wife, Lot's daughters. And then there are men too, men. It's not just the ladies that had a bad name. King Ahab, Samson, and the list goes on. Look at the kings of Israel one after the other, lots of bad names there. Even in recent times, many with bad names. But other names have risen above the crowd. And you can look through the Gospels and you can see that. You can read through the epistles and see the ends of many of the epistles and names that were recorded. 
that were good names. We may not know a lot of the details, but for God to record them in his word was an example to us about a good name. And Hebrews chapter 11 also lists many of these. Jesus is very evident in the Proverbs. And sometimes we read the Proverbs as a to-do list. And I think we miss the bigger picture. We miss the real point in the book of Proverbs. Jesus in Luke 24, verse 27 said, or, or this is recorded, and beginning with Moses and all the prophets, Jesus interpreted to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus all the scriptures the things concerning himself, in all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So, Dr. Frankie had a good name, and I want us to explore how we can also have a good name because of the name of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Solomon was a very wise man, and he had wisdom beyond all of his contemporaries, and they list some of the wise people in 1 Kings chapter 4, verses 29 and 34, they are unknown to us. But Solomon wrote over 3,000 proverbs and over 1,000 songs. And he wrote uh, Proverbs, Ecclesiastes, Song of Solomon, all inspired by God. But these are more than just pithy statements, and a to-do list for believers. There is a risk, and I recognize this risk, and I want you to know about this risk in reading the book of Proverbs, that you will come away with a to-do list. And that is not the goal of the book of Proverbs. The goal of the book of Proverbs is to reveal the Lord Jesus Christ and understand that we are to be like him. And through the Holy Spirit, we can become like him. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be starting a men's study and and a ladies' study. The men's study is going to be the disciplines of a godly man. And it's very easy as you read through that book, because of the way it's written, to conclude, if I do this, I will be a better person. And if I do this, I will be a better person. And if I do this, I will be a better person. And nothing could be further from the truth. In fact, the author of the book, at the very end, makes it very, very clear that that's not the case. Uh, In fact, man, when we study that particular book, when we use that as our study guide, we're going to actually do the last chapter first, okay? And then we'll do the last chapter at the end again, just as a reminder that it's not about a list of things that I must do. But the author says that there are some deadly responses to listening to God's instructions. All right? And I just want to briefly review those with you. Here are the deadly responses to God's Word. The first deadly response is do nothing. Doing nothing is a deadly response. Passive listening listening without any intention of active participation or thoughtful Decision-making is a very deadly consequence. James 1, verses 21 through 24 says, Therefore, put away all filthiness and rampant wickedness, and receive with meekness the implanted word, 
which is able to save your souls. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and forgets what he was like. So we need to look at God's word and examine ourselves. Compare ourselves to what God's word says. James 2.14 goes on to say, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can faith save him? So there's a danger in doing nothing. Because faith without works is dead. Not sick or weak. It's dead. Number two, another big risk is self-sufficient legalism. I could create a huge list of to-dos from Proverbs and think that somehow I can make God happy by accomplishing the list. Wrong. There is no way that that can happen. Philippians 2, 12-13 says this, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, so now, not only as in my presence, but also much more in my absence, Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. And if it ended there, that would be somewhat disturbing. But God is very wise, and he didn't end it there with me working out my own salvation. It says, For it is God who works in you, both to will and to work, for his good pleasure. So, risk number two is to think that somehow I can create my own list and make God happy by accomplishing the list. Number three, and I'm sure nobody here does this one, self-righteous judgmentalism. You know, Jesus talked about being careful not to try to pick out the speck in your brother's eye. Um, And what we should be doing is listening to the Holy Spirit talk to us, not to our neighbor. Right? So even in the list of Proverbs, um, I shouldn't be looking at the list of you know, Proverbs there and saying, oh, I only wish Cindy would do this. Um, or our only wish that so-and-so in the congregation would do this. I should be thinking, this is who the Lord Jesus Christ is. He loves me. He gave himself for me. Therefore, in response to that love and by the power of the Holy Spirit, I want to do what he would do. I want to think what he would think. Kent Hughes says, salvation is by grace alone, and living the Christian life is by grace alone. Only God can change Wayne Winquist. That's the only hope Wayne has. Wayne's self-improvement projects merit nothing without God. So, a good name's beginning. Proverbs 1, verse 7. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge, but fools despise wisdom and discipline. The fear of the Lord appears 19 times in the book of Proverbs. Proverbs begins with the fear of the Lord, and Proverbs ends with the fear of the Lord. But the fear of the Lord, and many of you have already heard this, that doesn't necessarily just mean I'm afraid of God, although there should be an element of fear associated with with who God is. 
It certainly means that, but it also means respect for him. He is my creator. He is my Lord. He is the one that I should depend on for all things. And his very character is something I should be fearful of because he is holy and righteous and just. But it's kind of a wrongful fear, if you're a believer, to be afraid of him punishing you. And why is that? Well, in Hebrews, we're told that you should understand that discipline as his child is for your good and his glory. And he does it out of love. You know, our fathers disciplined us according to their pleasure so that we would be less obnoxious boys when I was young. Okay? I was an obnoxious kid. My mom seems to think I was a good kid. Um, she doesn't know everything I got into, uh, and, and it's probably good that she doesn't. But my dad, you know, mom would say when she ultimately became very frustrated with me or what, with one of my brothers, your dad is going to hear about this one. All right? I didn't want to hear that my dad was going to hear about it because I knew he, he had an instrument of correction that he was going to use to help me in my growing up years. He sometimes did it for his own pleasure, I'm sure. I mean, he was a good and a godly man, but there were just probably times when he did it because he wanted some peace and quiet, right? Any parents ever there? You know, you just want peace and quiet. You're not interested in instruction or training of godliness or any of that. You just want, you want some calm in the household. God doesn't operate that way. God is disciplining you for your good. So appropriate fear is born out of a fact that I am afraid my behavior will hurt him. Because now that I'm older and wiser, I don't want my mom to be hurt. I don't want my dad's memory to be hurt by the things that I say and do. And we should have that same respect and fear of God. We love him because he first loved us. So, fear not only produces the right behavior, it produces holiness of character. And that's the purpose of Proverbs, to help us to understand what a good character looks like, what a pure and noble and righteous person looks like, so that they might have a good name. So here's how Proverbs defines the fear of the Lord, and you're going to hear a common thread in this. Proverbs 3, verse 7 says, Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and turn away from evil. So a proper fear of the Lord says, I'm not wise in my own ability to see things, to understand things. I need to depend on the Lord for that. And it means I turn away from evil. So if I fear the Lord, you know, then that means I'm going to turn away from evil. I'm going to turn to him. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is hatred of evil. So if I really fear the Lord, I hate evil. Now, I don't, I shouldn't hate evildoers, but I should hate their evil. I should be, uh, just as God is, very displeased with evil, and yet loving the sinner. Proverbs 9.10, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom, and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. Knowing Christ more, knowing God more, 
is proper fear of the Lord. As I got to know my father better, I feared him better. Okay? When I was one or two, I didn't truly understand the same fear that I had when I was five, and even when I was a teenager. You know, he handed me the keys to his nice Chevy Impala SS Super Sport Burgundy convertible with beautiful white interior. I understood the fear that went with that key, that I wasn't going to, you know, take that car out on the road and mess it up because I had a proper fear of my father, which was balanced with love for him. Proverbs 14.2, whoever walks in uprightness fears the Lord. So we shun evil and we walk in uprightness, and that is equated with the fear of the Lord. Proverbs 15.33, the fear of the Lord is instruction and wisdom. So am I open to instruction? There are multiple passages in the book of Proverbs that say, that fools despise instruction, but a wise man listens to a rebuke. One of the ways I can tell if somebody is a wise person, especially a believer, is how they respond to a rebuke. Do they put up their defense shields immediately, or do they listen carefully and think about what is being said and try to understand what this person has observed in their life? Proverbs twenty-three seventeen: Let not your heart envy sinners, but continue in the fear of the Lord. So if I envy what my neighbor has, I'm actually not in the fear of the Lord anymore. Because hasn't he given me every good gift? Hasn't he provided everything I need for life and for godliness? So why should I envy any, anyone? My brothers, my sisters, my neighbors? That wouldn't be appropriate fear of the Lord. Proverbs twenty-four twenty-one: My son, fear the Lord and the king, and do not join those who do otherwise. So that means that proper fear of the Lord is I don't align myself in a cause with those that are opposed to the Lord. What happens in the Old Testament when somebody aligns themselves with those that align themselves against the Lord? Trouble, a reason to fear the Lord by going contrary to him. So seeking and applying wisdom that comes from God means that we accept reproof. Proverbs 9, verse 8 says, Do not reprove a scoffer, or he will hate you. Reprove a wise man, and he will love you. One of the things that Dave Ramsey does in Financial Peace University is he reproves reproves bad behavior, bad thinking. One of the bad thoughts, and I'm glad that, that these folks talked about it, was, I'm the owner. I own that property over in Fitchburg. Hogwash! I own nothing. I'm a manager. I'm a steward. I own nothing. It is all God's. So I need to be reproved if I start to think, oh, you've damaged my property. No, you've damaged the Lord's property, and I hope he's gracious to you, you know, if you do that. Seek instruction. Proverbs 9.9. Give instruction to a wise man, and he will be still wiser. Teach a righteous man, and he will increase in learning. So do we ever come to the point where we've become totally like Christ in wisdom? No, Christ could read these passages and say, this is me. Look here, you can see me. This is what you should become through the power of the Holy Spirit. Proverbs twelve fifteen says we are to listen to advice. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man listens to advice. Proverbs 26, 12 says, Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes? 
Let me repeat that. Do you see a man who is wise in his own eyes as opposed to the eyes of the Lord? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So we should not be wise in our own eyes. But there is a source for wisdom, and it's readily available. James, chapter 1, verse 5 says, If any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God. And God likes to withhold wisdom from those that ask him. No, that's silliness. God who gives generously. Did you ever think about that? You ask for wisdom. You don't even know what you're asking for. And God says, here, I'm going to give you more than you asked for. When Solomon asked for wisdom, God gave him a lot of wisdom. He learned a lot about creation as a result of God's instruction in his life. God gives generously to all without reproach, and you will be given that wisdom if you ask. But it's more than just a kind of a passive thing. Okay? We, we want kind of it to, to flow over us. You know? And so, by way of example... When I went to Dr. Frankie, you know, I was proactively saying, I know you're a wise man, and I'm a young man, and you've raised your kids, and I'm trying to raise mine, and you've got a great relationship with your wife, and I'd love to have a better, you know, growing, loving relationship with my wife, and you care about other people, and you minister to other people, and I want to bathe myself in that example. And Would that be true of us here? Could that be true of us where it's more about how we can be used by God to minister to one another? That would be so wonderful. Uh, Your name would be great. Your name would be good if you, through the power of the one whose name is truly great, were able to do that for his kingdom. This is not passive. It is active seeking. Proverbs 8, verses uh, 10 through uh, 10 and 11. Take my instruction instead of silver and knowledge rather than choice gold. For wisdom is better than jewels and all that you may desire cannot compare with her. Silver, gold, jewels. Things that people really value and want. And God says, my word My truth, my wisdom takes a priority and should be viewed at a higher level than all of that. Proverbs 8, 17 to 19 says, I love those who love me and those who seek me diligently find me. Riches and honor are with me, enduring wealth and righteousness. My fruit is better than gold, even fine gold, and my yield than choice silver. So, the book of Proverbs reveals the Lord Jesus Christ in his wisdom, and we are to become like him, which means that as we read the Proverbs, we should see Jesus Christ, and then we should compare his heart, his mind, his words, his actions with Wayne's. Well, you shouldn't do that. I should do that, okay? You should compare the Lord Jesus Christ and his wisdom and his heart 
and his service and his humility and do like him through the power of the Spirit. Secondly, a good name's value. Proverbs 22, verse 1, which was identified as the main passage this morning. A good name is more desirable than great riches to be esteemed better than silver or gold. We should have an understanding of the value of a good name. Now, as we sat in that room with that casket and people got up and talked about Dr. Frankie, it wasn't so much to praise him as it was to praise the Father that changed him. Because the Father did change him. He was a humble man. He could have been very proud. He had been trained as a concert pianist. He could play the piano like nobody's business. I'll never forget the day that Dr. Coonley, who was our pastor at Garfield Baptist Church, retired. And as part of the honor to him, Dr. Coonley got up and played one of Dr. Coonley's songs. And after Dr. Frankie got done, and it was beautiful, it was masterful, it was like music from heaven, Dr. Coonley got up and said, I don't know who wrote that. You would have never guessed in spending any time with Dr. Frankie that he was proud of that gift but he wanted to use it in praise and glory to the Lord. And he wanted every moment of his life to build into the lives of others. So what did I see at that funeral service? I saw lives that that impacted one after the other after the other. And that was the value of his good name. And he understood that, that it was the lives that he had because of his love for the Savior, impacted for the Lord. A good name actually has a lot of value in the present life as well. Recently, a young man that worked for me at Parts Now sent me an email and said, would you be a reference for me? Now, there are some people who would send me that email and I would grimace and think about, okay, so what could I say? that's positive about that person because their name isn't very good. I've had some employees that could no longer be employees because of problems, if you get my drift. Um, I didn't have to fire too many people, but there were some that I did. But this young man, who is a believer, actually, has a good name. And, And it was more than just his technical skill but it was the way that he responded to those in his life, both those that reported to him and the one to whom he reported, to me. And it was his willingness to be a servant and to change and to be conformed to an image that was acceptable as a manager in a business. So it has application in a real sense in a real world. There are present opportunities to serve as a result of fearing the Lord. Acts 6, verse 3 says this. Therefore, brothers, and this is talking about the opportunity of selecting some deacons for service. So you that are deacons, 
um, or have been deacons. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute. In other words, good names. People whose names are solid. Full of the Spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this duty. In other words, these would be men who feared the Lord. In Esther chapter 9, verse 4, it says, Mordecai was prominent in the palace. His reputation spread throughout the provinces, and he became more and more powerful. Here was a man who feared the Lord and understand that the Lord was in control, and as a result, his reputation grew for God's name. 1 Timothy 3, 7 says, regarding elders, Moreover, he must be well thought of by outsiders so that he may not fall into disgrace, into the snare of the devil. In other words, what do his neighbors think of him? What does his boss think of him? What do his co-workers think of him? Does he have a good name? It matters in this world if you have a good name. There is also a future, future opportunities for God's blessing and glory. It never amazes, it never ceases to amaze me the number of things that God opened as a door of opportunity because of small, little, tiny steps of faithfulness. Taking God at his word and desiring to be his servant, and then he would open up venues that I didn't even know that they were coming, that they were even possible, that they were even feasible. Mark 30, or, uh, Psalm 37, 37 says this, Mark the blameless and the behold the upright, for there is a future for the man of peace. There is a future for those that are peaceful and following God. In fact, in Jude 1, 24 to 25, which we will close the service with this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you blameless before the presence of his glory with great joy. God is the one who does the work and can present you before himself with great joy. A good name source. Jason read for us Proverbs chapter 30, verses 1 through 6. And there's an interesting verse in there. It's verse number 4, where it says, Who has ascended into heaven and come down? Who has gathered the wind in his fists? Who has wrapped up the waters in a garment? Who has established all the ends of the earth? So, um, congregation, who has done that? God. God is the only one who has done that. Then there's a question. Besides what is his name, what is his son's name? Surely you know. What is his son's name? Jesus. He is the one that is the creator of heaven and earth. And that's very evident in the New Testament as well. In Psalm chapter 2, verses 7 through 12, we are told that we are to serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, that is Jesus, lest he be angry, and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. But then it says, Blessed are all who take their refuge in him. If you've taken your refuge in Jesus, you are secure. You are safe in him. He does the work of presentation. Jesus is the one 
who does the work you cannot do. And you who were once alienated and hostile in mind doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death. In order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him, the God who saved Dr. Glenn Frankie molded him and made him into the man he was, and now he has been presented before God as holy and blameless and above reproach. The reason Dr. Frankie had a good name was not Dr. Frankie. It was the Lord Jesus Christ and him crucified. And the work that the Lord Jesus Christ did in and through him by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans 14.4 says, Who are you to pass judgment on the servant of another? So this gets back to that self-righteous judgment of others. It is before his own master that he stands or falls, and he will be upheld for the Lord is able to make him stand. Jesus had to be made like you and me and be tempted in all points like we are tempted. And he then can help those who are being tempted. Hebrews 2, verse 18. There is nothing too big, too high, too much, too difficult. There are no proverbs that you have to create a list of to try to accomplish them. Rather, cling to Jesus. And understand that he has spoken wisdom to you and that you need to respond to that. 1 Corinthians 10.13 says, No temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man, but God is faithful, and he will not allow you to be tempted above what you are able. He will provide a way of escape so that you can endure it. So, folks... We all have a birth certificate, or I believe you do, you know, hopefully you do. And someday, you're going to have a death certificate. And there's going to be some preacher that's going to stand by your casket, and they're going to talk about you. And your relatives are going to talk about you. Uh, And it won't be gossip. And the question is, Are you aligned with the name that is above every other name? Have you put your faith and confidence, trust in the Lord Jesus Christ? Because if you have, then he's changing you. He's making you into the image of his son. And the Proverbs are like little glimpses in the mirror that we look and we say, am I getting closer to looking like Jesus? Am I a wise person? Do I fear the Lord? Do I honor him with my life? So here's the application in in closing. You cannot keep the Proverbs. You cannot save yourself. You can only have any victory whatsoever through the power of the Holy Spirit, through being born again. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have everlasting life. You need a spiritual birth certificate. And the scriptures tell us that if you are born again, you have been sealed. You have God's certificate of authenticity, and that is not revocable. God does not re... You know, this is not revocable. This is solid. I cannot be unborn. You cannot be unborn again. Works do not save. You cannot try hard enough. Give up trying. Rest in Jesus. And mechanical obedience does not please God. He doesn't want you to fill out a list and keep it and check it off and somehow think that that satisfies. We must begin with a fear of the Lord and hating evil. Immortal, invisible, God-only wise, in light, inaccessible, hid from our eyes, most blessed, most glorious, the Ancient of Days, Almighty, Victorious, Thy great name we praise. And now we're going to sing There's Something About That Name. <laughs>